When I was a kid, my family made two really big moves that I was unhappy about. At the age of four, we moved to uh, Angwin, California. This was not a move that I was unhappy about. I was only four years old. I could care less. I was going somewhere, and I barely remembered it. But for four years, we lived in Angwin, California, where Pacific Union College is, and my dad taught there. And at the end of those four years, my dad, who had been teaching at PUC, was invited to, by Loma Linda University, to move down there. They said, come down, we'll pay for you to get your physical therapy degree, to get your uh, master's in PT, and then you can teach for us for uh, five years after that. So my dad agreed to do this. They didn't even consult me on it, which I was very offended at eight years old. So at the age of eight years old, we moved from uh, Angwin, California to Loma Linda, and I was very, very, very unhappy about this. We lived there for eight years in Loma Linda. The first five years of the, uh, the, that I was there, whenever there was some sort of issue or I got in trouble, I reminded my parents that I was such a difficult child because they had moved me away, taken me away from Angwin, California, and taken me away from all of my friends, and they reminded me that I had always been a difficult child, even before moving. Then in 1994, in 1994, my dad received an invitation from Andrews University to start a uh, physical therapy program from the ground up in, in Dayton, Ohio, in the greater Dayton area uh, there, with the Greater Dayton Area Hospital Association. They wanted to start a satellite program down there, so they invited my dad to do this. Uh, this time, they did consult me, and my vote was no, and they didn't listen, and so they moved me. So after my freshman year of academy at Loma Linda, we left Loma Linda and moved to Ohio. In the back of my mind, somewhere I knew this move was probably a good move for me, but I was still very, very upset. And for the first year, year and a half in Ohio, I reminded my parents I was such a difficult teenager because they had moved me away from California and away from all my friends. And they reminded me that I had always been a difficult teenager. Always. These two big moves upset me. Then in April of 1996, I accepted Jesus. Jesus became my, my best friend. And the following year at graduation, there was a get-together my parents had for myself and some of my friends, some of the parents got together and they had a little get together, a little party and my dad stood up and at that party stood up and said, we moved to Ohio three years ago. We thought we moved here for my work and the professional opportunities that it gave me. We now realize that we moved here to save my son's life. Of course, in the moment when he said that, I started crying. He's, Started, he was already crying, and a bunch of others were crying. Whenever you guys cry, I start to cry. Of course, I cried when Arena was just being baptized as well. But it got me thinking, when he said that, you know, we thought we moved here for my job, but I realize now that we moved here to save my son's life. It got me thinking, if we had never left Angwin, California to move to Loma Linda, my dad would have not become a physical therapist, and if my dad had not become a physical therapist, then he would never have received the job offer from Andrews University to, to move to Dayton, Ohio. And if we hadn't moved to Ohio, I would not have been in the Centerville Church, the Centerville Seventh-day Adventist Church on April 26, 1996, at that moment in which Jesus touched my heart. 
And suddenly it hit me. The two big moves that I hated so much, that I had so much uh, resentment towards for many years in my life, actually were God opening doors to give me the best opportunity to say yes to him at one point in my life. Today I want to talk to you about why you are where you are at right now. I don't care who you are or where you are, but I believe why you are where you are at right now. For some of you, it may be, it may be what I just shared with you. It may be that you are where you're at right now because God wants to change your life for his glory in some way. Maybe you've not fully made a commitment to you and he's, he's moving, he's orchestrating things in such a way that you are in the right place at the right time to say yes to him. And he's opening the, making it the best possible avenue to do these things. But I don't want to look at it from that angle today. I want to look at it from an external angle. I look at the moves in my life and I look at the situations in my life prior to, to saying yes to Jesus' love, prior to saying yes to Jesus' friendship, as, 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 as God orchestrating things to put me in the best position for me to be able to say yes to him. I look at the moves post my conversion, post my, my, my relationship with Jesus. I look at those moves as God orchestrating things in such a way to put me in the best position to help others say yes to him in some way. Open your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 29, which Marilyn read to us, Jeremiah chapter 29. It's in the Old Testament Jeremiah chapter 29, it has one of the most famous verses that many of you know. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Many of you know that text, but that's not the text we're looking at today. Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah was kind of a a down-in-the-dumps prophet. It's the weeping prophet. He had a lot of difficulties in his life, if you read through the book of Jeremiah. But here in Jeremiah chapter 29... He is speaking to a group of people. Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 5. He says to this group of people, Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Jeremiah here is writing to a group, a group of Israelites on behalf of God. He is giving them counsel. And the counsel that he is basically giving them is this. He's saying to them, make the most of the situation of where you're at. Make the, make the most out of a bad situation. You all have received or given yourselves that piece of advice before. You've probably given yourselves that advice. You're in, a, you're in a situation that you're not enjoying so much. And you're like, well, I might as well just make the best of it. Anyone ever said that to yourselves? Right? We, we don't mind saying that to ourselves. What do we feel like when someone else says that to us? Hey, look, just make the best of it. We want to say, just be quiet. You don't understand. Right? But we've all been in those situations. Just make the best of the situation. And that's what Jeremiah is saying to these people. Here's the interesting thing about it. The reason why he's saying to make the best of a situation is because these people were truly in a bad, situa- bad situation. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 1. 
Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The divinely inspired advice truly to make the most of a bad situation. It was truly a bad situation. It was not a good situation because these Israelites were prisoners. They were captives. They were servants. They had to give allegiance to a, to a foreign king. They lived in a foreign land separated by the things that they were familiar with. They, 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 were, they were living amongst people that worshiped foreign gods, that worshiped in a different way than they did. And Jeremiah tells them, here is the message that God has for you. He wants you to put down roots. He wants you to settle down, settle into your new world, build homes, plant a garden, make, make it feel like home. I know this isn't where you wished you lived, but this is where God has put you. So make the most of it. Make the most of the bad situation. In fact, don't only build houses and don't only plant gardens, but, but I want you to find love, Jeremiah says. God, get married, have kids, keep, keep growing the people of Israel. Keep growing the people of Israel. This is all sound advice, and most of us, when we are in places that we don't want to be in, eventually get to this place where we just learn to adapt. We learn how to figure it out and how to do this, how to adjust to, to, to a bad situation. We make the most out of the bad situation. But the advice that Jeremiah gives to God's people doesn't end there. It doesn't stop there. And I'm glad because most of us, if we are honest, if we are honest, that is where we do stop. We get to that place where, okay, I have my house in line, okay, my family's happy, okay, my kids are good, okay, I, I, I have, some, I have my, my spouse with me, I have those that I love around me. You know what, I can, I can deal with this. I can, I can make the most of this situation. And we become content and we settle in at that place. But Jeremiah doesn't end his advice there. He increases it. He, he gives them another piece of advice. Verse 7 in Jeremiah chapter 29. He tells them, he says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Many of you have Bibles that say, Seek the peace. Seek the peace of the city. And indeed, the Hebrew word here is the word shalom, which many of you know, which means peace, which often is translated peace. And I wonder why then, then the version that I was studying in, that I happened to be studying in uh, through 2016, the New American uh, Standard Version, why it translated this word rather than peace, why it translated the word shalom to welfare. So I looked up the word welfare. And the word welfare, it means to the, the health the happiness and the fortunes of a person or group. We think of welfare, of course, in the regards to the welfare system. But the, the actual word welfare means to, it addresses the health, the happiness, and the fortunes of a person or group. I thought, okay, well, that seems like a richer meaning than just the idea of, of not having conflict, just the idea of peace. But then I looked up the word shalom. I said, okay, well, why still would it translate it this way? And I looked up the word shalom, and the primary meaning for the word shalom 
is a word that embodies, it is a word that embodies the idea of having wholeness and completeness in one's life. It's not simply, it's not simply about the absence of conflict. Shalom is not simply about saying, hey, let's live in peace. Let's not have conflict. Let's not have, have frustration with one another. The, the, the word actually means to seek the wholeness and the completeness of something. The wholeness and the completeness of something. So the advice God is giving to these exiled people, he's saying, seek the wholeness and the completeness of the city where I have sent you into exile. Not just yourselves. Don't be so consumed with, with your own happiness and well, I've got my stuff figured out, so I'm just gonna put my head down and, and plug away. No, the scripture here is telling us that, that God tells these people, you're not only to, to plant roots for yourself, you're not only to make a life for yourself, you're not only to, to, to seek blessings for yourself in this foreign land, but you're also to seek the welfare, to seek the wholeness, the completeness of those around you. Wherever God has planted us, whether God, wherever God has planted you, whether it is a good situation or a bad situation, we're not only to make the most of it for us, one of our responsibilities as Christians is to try to make the most of it for others as well. No matter what neighborhood we live in, no matter what job we have, no matter what school we go to, no matter what grocery stores that we shop at, wherever we are, we are called to work towards the wholeness and the completeness and the welfare, the health, the happiness, and the fortune of the communities in which we live. God didn't say to this people that lived in a good neighborhood. God didn't say this, hey, if you live in a good neighborhood or if you have the perfect situation or you're living amongst people that you like and that you're familiar with or you're living amongst people that have similarities to you, if you're living amongst folks to, who have your best in mind so that you can, it's easy for you to have their best in mind. No, God said, you who are a captive, you who are a foreigner, you who are a stranger, you who are are." are in, in many ways, a slave to this society, I want you to think about how you can make those who are against you, how you can help them to have a more full and more complete and a more blessed life. How can you improve the welfare, the whole welfare of those around you? I look back upon my life and I see how God orchestrated so many things as I believe it to be to put me in the best position to say yes, to get to know Jesus, to fall in love with Jesus, to, to understand Jesus better. If you're not committed to Jesus personally right now in your life, if, if there's some of you that, that know that there's this separation, maybe you're just here because someone asked you and, and you don't really have much interest in God or maybe your parents made you come here and so that's the reason why you are here and you think that's the reason why you're here. I would say that even today, even God having you here in this situation today is another step in God trying to put you in a position to say yes to him. Maybe you saw the baptism and something in your heart was, was touched, something stirred you. You saw her tears and, and something moved you and you said, I wish I had that in my life. It's not an accident that you're feeling that way. God put you in a position today to experience that to, for your welfare, for your happiness, for your, your, your wholeness, your, for your health, for your fortune. So maybe that's you.
But I believe many of us are sitting here right now because God wants us to know in this moment, because God wants us to know in this moment that he desires for us, he desires for us in 2016 to be more intentional about seeking the welfare, the wholeness, the completeness in every area of an individual's life of those around us here and now. In 2016, I want us as a corporate body to commit to really two big ideas, two, two, two big motions, big movements. Last week was the first. All of us together corporately and yet individually working through the Bible. Last week I, I challenged our church, I encouraged our church for all of us to, to take 2016 and to just work our way through the Bible. And if you uh, weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to listen, listen online. You can also pick up the the, the 2016 reading plan that we are doing, and I'm blogging every single day through the Bible, so this is so you can hold me accountable. I hope some, I know at least two of you are reading because you've responded to my blog post. I hope it's more than two, but uh, if it's not, I'm gonna do it anyway, all right? But at least pretend like you're doing it so that I feel a little better about I'm blogging to more than just two people. But, but I'm blogging through it every day for, for that accountability. But, but why are we doing this? Because the Bible has several promises for us. And we went over those last week. We went over some of those things last week. The Bible has several promises for us that if we spend time in God's word, we will receive a blessing. We also, of course, challenged and encouraged our congregation to spend time each month uh, reading a portion or, or a book from, from the writings of Ellen White. And I would encourage you, if, if, if uh, a good way to do that is to download the free app from the LNG White Estate. I have that app, I've had that app for years, and I use it all the time, and it is such a blessing to me. And you can download that app, just go to the iTunes store, or if you're one of those Android users, I don't know where you go, um, but I'm sure you do. But you can go to the iTunes store, and you can download the, uh, t- download the app there and do that. But that's one of our big ideas, that, that our reading will be focused and intentional in 2016. Why? Because individually and corporately as a body, we want to grow to know Jesus and love Jesus more each day of this year. I love to say that at the end of 2016, that, that I can say without a shadow of a doubt that I am more in love with Jesus and I know more about Jesus than I did at the end of 2015. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? That'd be a wonderful thing for us as a church body to be able to communicate, for us as a church body to be able to say. But the second thing that that I really want us to focus on in 2016, to really focus on in 2016, is improving the welfare of those around us in our communities, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. Not just through evangelistic meetings or, or big uh, corporate gatherings, but one person at a time, each one of us, one to one, one to one, going forth and, and engaging the people of our community. Why? So that others too can come to know and love Jesus more. Every single one of you, pretty much every single one of you that has made a decision for Jesus Christ is because someone, one person, took an interest in you and influenced you to make that decision. Very few of you came 
uh, came to know Jesus by simply just a whim of walking into a church one day. Now, some of you, that happened, but for the majority of you, it was someone invested in you one-to-one and invested in your welfare and your happiness and the goodness of your life. I had many people like this in my life that, that while I didn't see it at the time, God was using them to minister to me. My chaplain at Spring Valley Academy, his name was Neil Richmond. And Neil Richmond, uh, just through his kindness and his graciousness towards me, was someone that, that when he stood up one night and made an appeal, I was getting ready to leave. I was not gonna stay put. But when he stood up, because of my relationship and my respect for him, I stayed sitting there. You see, even though he had to kick me out of class on many different occasions, once for literally tackling him in class, I thought it might be amusing to run and jump on his back and take him to the floor uh, as he was teaching a lecture. He did not find it so amusing uh, and kindly asked me to, to leave class for the, for the day. Even though I did many things like this, I, his trash can uh, became a graffiti marking point for, my, for me. Even though I did many things like this, he still showed me in a tremendous amount of love. He'd take me golfing. He'd take me to all kinds of things. He taught me about, about cricket. I watched cricket at three in the morning with him, watched the Australians play the Pakistanis. So all you Aussies, um, I've, I've, I've watched hours and hours of cricket. Does that bond us a little bit? And South Africans and, and all the, every, basically everywhere in the world except for the United States. Although they just put a cricket pitch out here on, a, what's that road? That goes out to the, I don't, what's it called? New Hope Road. There's a cricket pitch out there. It's probably a little soggy. Don't go play on it right now. But, uh, but he just, he loved me. And that one-on-one attention that when, that when God spoke to my heart, I responded. I believe that God desires for each one of us to start looking out for the welfare of those around us in one-on-one ways. Now, what I'm talking about here is not necessarily a Bible study. What I'm talking about here is not necessarily you going and saying, can I pray with you or going door to door. What I'm talking about is for you looking for opportunities, opportunities to seek the welfare of the city where God has placed you. Well, how do we do this? Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse seven tells us, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. This is the best place to start. The first thing you can do to begin to to seek the welfare of God to bless those around you is to begin praying for those you are interacting with, to pray for those that you are in connection with. Many of you go for walks in your neighborhood. How many of you go for walks in your neighborhood? Rather than thinking about the stresses of your day, rather than thinking about the, the, the stresses, what if you began to pray for the people that you saw in your neighborhood as you walked? Your heart would then begin to be softened towards those individuals. You begin to see things about those individuals in which, which you could connect with. So you begin to pray for, for the people that are around you. Pray for your neighborhoods. You pray for the people as you, you walk through the grocery store. But you don't just pray for them. You also pray for yourself. And here's the prayer you can pray for yourself. Lord, help me to see how I can better the welfare of this individual. How can I, how can I improve this person's life, even if it's just for a moment. My son and I were sitting in the uh, drive-thru at McDonald's, and uh, I know the irony of this story, and you'll see the irony in just a minute. 
But we were sitting in the drive-thru of the McDonald's. We're not meat eaters, but I like my two apple pies and large orange juice. I don't know if any of the rest of you like that. But I enjoy my two apple pies and large orange juice. And uh, Dayton happened to be with me, and so I was going to get him an apple pie as well. And we're sitting in the drive-thru of the McDonald's just right out here on, on the Spencerville Road. And I look in the rearview mirror, and I see that Dayton has his head down. He looks like he's praying. And so I said, hey, buddy, what are you doing? And he said, there's a man back there smoking, and I'm praying that Jesus will help him to quit. Now, if, and this was when he was about six years old, so a couple months ago, if a six-year-old, almost seven-year-old boy can see something and say, okay, what do I need to, I can pray for that person right now, for their welfare, for their well-being, then how much more could we do that? If he can see something like that and notice something that, like that, if you miss it, the irony is that I'm sitting in a fast food line and he's worried about the people smoking. Uh, <laughs> folks, let's not justify our own junk. I mean, they're both not very good for you, all right? But we, we need to then pray, God, help, me to, help my eyes to be opened. Help my eyes to be opened that I can see where I can minister to that person, where I can help that person. It may just be for a moment. It may just be, be a smile. It may just be a, a word of encouragement. A word of encouragement. I know how many times I've walked into situations or I've walked into places and, and been in a store and someone's been so kind and so uh, considerate to me that I've left there a little bit happier. My, my welfare has been, been lifted by being in their presence, even for just a few minutes. You know that's how each one of us should be? That someone by being in our presence for just a few minutes would leave that experience with a better situation in their life, even just for those moments. How can we, how can we bless people? Maybe on some scales it'll be larger. If we know about someone who's sick in the neighborhood or, and, and we, can, we can go and, and help them and, and, and work with them. You know, you can look and usually see where people are struggling. You can see the clerk who's had a long and stressful day. You know, whenever I'm standing in line and someone is really mean to an individual in front of me, I always try then to say something very nice to them, to use their name. You know, they have those name badges for a reason. You should always use the name of the person that's, that's, that's assisting you, to use their name, to say, thank you, Mary, I appreciate your help today, I appreciate it. Or I'll even say, has it been a long day? And she'll look at me like, didn't you just hear that, Yahoo? Or sometimes I'll lean and I'll say, I don't think you did anything wrong. They'll smile. Just a little thing. You can do little things to improve the welfare of the people around you. The Bible says, the Bible says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, on the behalf of those people. You pray for God to, you begin to pray for the people, for God to bless the people. Then you pray for your eyes to be opened. Your eyes to be open to see the needs of people around you. And then you pray this prayer. You say, God, is it me that you want to use to help this person's welfare today? I believe all of you have heard about Charlton, or a great majority of you have heard about Charlton, but I'll tell you again. A year ago, September, my wife and I flew out here to Maryland to see if this is truly where God was calling us to be. And the last year has been wonderful and we loved it and we fall more and more in love with this place all the time and our kids love it and we're excited about that. 
but we moved out, we, we, we were here in September to see, and I had left all my suits in California. Now, my wife thought I did this on purpose because I wanted to buy a new suit. I told her two days before, it's just a coincidence, I promise, but I had told her two days before, they're having a two-for-one sale at the men's warehouse. I'd like to go. She goes, you have enough suits. You don't need any more suits. It's like, all right, all right, I won't get any more suits. We're driving to the airport at five in the morning, and I said, oh, man, I forgot all my suits. And Christina said, well, let's turn around and go get the suits. And I said, no, I forgot them all at the dry cleaners. <laughs> and she said to me, did you do this on purpose? I said, no, I promise I didn't. Well, we found out that I didn't because later that day, later that day we landed at the Dulles Airport and, uh, and Steve Wilsey met us and I told Steve, I said, I need to run to the men's warehouse right here by the Dulles Airport real quick. Oh, don't go to that one. There's one over in Columbia you can go to. Let's make sure we get through the traffic and get over there to your hotel and you guys can get some. So we got over there. And then we were there, and I said, I really need to go to the men's warehouse. And, and Steve said, what time is it open to? And Christina looked it up on the phone. It said, it's open till 10 o'clock. And Steve said, oh, you have plenty of time. Go uh, get dinner um, uh, before you go to the men's warehouse, and then you can go to the men's warehouse. Steve didn't even know it. God was using him. I thought he was just trying to be an obstacle to me right then. But, but God was using him. And so we didn't go, and then finally we go to the men's warehouse, and we go to look for the men's warehouse, and we can't find it anywhere, although now I know where it's at, even though I searched and searched and searched and couldn't find it anywhere that night. And then I noticed that it's 9 o'clock, so I called them, and I said to them, I said, where are you located at? And they told me where they were at, and I said, okay, I'm right around the corner. They said, sorry, sir, we're closed. I said, I'm right around the corner. Can't you just let me? No, sir, sorry, we're closed. And I'm, oh man, I'm really frustrated now. We're right by the mall. So I run to the door and there's a Macy's there. So I run to the door and I go to grab the door and the guy puts the key in and he locks it. I'm like, please let me in. He's like, there's other people in there. I see him still paying. So I go back to the car and Christine said, I guess you're just gonna have to go in jeans. I said, I'm not going to Spencerville Church in jeans. There's no way that's ever happening. No, if you're in jeans right now, it's okay. I'm talking about me, me personally, <laughs> me personally. Think I'm gonna meet Ed Zinke for the first time in jeans? I mean, he's an intimidating guy, look at him. So I said, I'm not going to go to an interview. I'm not gonna go to Smithville Church in jeans. And she's like, Chad, you're just gonna have to. I said, no, I'm not. She said, well, maybe you can borrow some from Rich Reinhardt. I said, Rich is like five inches shorter than me. I'm not borrowing anything from that guy. I mean, the high, that's not going to look good either. No offense, Rich, you're sh to being shorter than me. You run a lot faster than me. So I looked up, I looked up the place, and, um, and I had been kind of mean to the other men's warehouse. I said, the thing says you're open until 10. Well, sorry, sir, we're not. So I look at another one, and I call that men's warehouse, and I said, is there any chance that you can stay open until I get there? I'm right around the corner, which was a lie because I didn't know where I was, but I told him that. I said, how far are you? I said, I'm like 10 minutes. I had no idea. I was about 15 minutes, so it was pretty close, did pretty good. Um, and they said, we'll keep someone here and we'll stay open until you get here so you can do the suit. So I drive, I get lost, I end up in a movie theater parking lot. I call them, I said, where am I? They said, are you following your GPS on your iPhone? I said, yes. They said, yeah, it always sends you to the wrong place. <laughs> Be quiet, Doug. And Daryl. <laughs> they said, here's how you get here. So I go, shh. So I get to the place. I'm about, so now I'm about 9.30, and they, uh, 9.25 or so, and they let me in. 
And I go into this place and there's just this one man there, Charlton, two men there, Charlton. And what I later found out was, uh, uh, was a vice president of men's warehouse stayed to hem my pants. How many of you had a vice president of men's warehouse hem your pants? Um, um, anyways, so Charlton is working with my, with my clothes to get me, get, uh, get me all worked out. And um, we're talking. And he said, what are you here for? I said, I'm here to interview for a job. He said, what job? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. He said, what church? I said, Spencerville Seventh-day Adventist. And I felt him stop on my, on my cufflink. And he stands up. And he said, I went to Oakwood College. I said, oh, really? Where do you go to church now? He said, I haven't been to church in 15 years. 15 years. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, I, I said, and this is what I said to him. I said, I think God put me here for a purpose then. I said, if I come back here, you're going to go to church with me. And he said, okay, it's a deal. We still haven't gotten him here, but we're still in regular contact um, uh, all the time. And thank you to those that just went to his sale the other day and, and you know, bought some suits and stuff. But Charlton and I began there. But then Charlton said something to me later. He was almost in tears, and he said to me, he said, Chad, he goes, this really means something to me because he goes, I just prayed today that God would do something to show me that he still cared. And then he told me, and my wife said, we need to find a church. And so that's been the, that's been the journey. We've had three Bible studies scheduled, and all three have fallen through. He had a family member die. He had something going on with his daughter. Uh, and then I, had, then I had one that um, I had an emergency where I had to leave town. And so um, keep praying. We keep regularly in touch. He texts me over Christmas, texts me over Thanksgiving where I go see him every other week or so. Here's the point of the story, though. What if I had walked out of that men's warehouse and I said, man, that is so cool, God, how you worked and how you, how, how you put me there in that position to, 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 be a, to minister into this person's life. And man, I sure hope someone eventually does. And I come back here and never followed up on it. No, the first person I went and visited and that I still visit is him because God put me in that position. So God, God, we pray for the people. We pray for the situations. By the way, when we were walking out of the men's warehouse, I said to Christina, I said, you still think I forgot my suits on purpose? She said, no, and I said, see, I told you. It's a God thing. But it was nice to get two new suits. But, but the moment I came back here, within a week I was over there visiting Charlton. Because when God gives us an opportunity to, to improve the welfare of someone's life, and Charlton and I pray for him, and, and I'll send him text telling him I'm praying for him, and when his uncle died, he wrote me and said, hey, can you pray for me? My uncle died, we were close. Prayed for him. Asked me to pray for his wife and him. and his He may have no one else that he's doing that with. But if I can improve the welfare in some way, God, so we look for, we pray for the people. We look for where they need it. And then we say, God, is it me that you want to improve the welfare of this person's life? And if the answer is always no, then you're listening to the wrong God. Because I'm telling you what, the majority of the time, if God sets you up in that position, his answer will be yes, minister to this person minister to this person in 2016 we want to be deep in the word of god as a people 
personally, individually, and corporately, we want to be deep in the word of God so that we as individuals, we as a church family, know Jesus more and, and love him more each and every day of 2016. But then we also want to ask God to help us to be used by him to help others know him and love him more as well in 2016. I want to invite you now at this time to pull out your connection card. Seek the welfare of the city is the title of it on the front and there on the back. There's a couple responses to today's sermon. I believe that in 2016, God wants us to help the communities in which we live to know Jesus more and to love him more. God has placed each one of you, no matter who you are, God has placed each one of you in your work environment, in your neighborhood environment, in your school environment. God has placed each one of us in the environments in which we are in for, I believe, a divine purpose. That divine purpose may be that that's where you need to be to meet Jesus for the first time or to fully accept Jesus. That may be the case. But, but if you've already met Jesus, if you've already connected to Jesus, then, then I believe that the reason each one of us are in the situation that we are in is because he wants us to now help someone else to know him more and to love him better. No doubt in my mind. There's not a one of you that are exempt from that. It's each and every one of us, all of us. So in 2016, I want to ask you if you'll commit to this on the back of your card there. I will look for opportunities to improve the welfare of those around me. I will look to, for opportunities to improve the welfare of those around me. If you can check that box. And then the second one. I will show my thanks to Jesus for improving my welfare by praying for eyes to see others as Jesus sees me. What encumbers us so often is that we see people and we say, you know, they're not like me or I don't know how I'm gonna reach that person or I don't know if they'll be interested in even talking to me. But if we pray for the eyes to see people as Jesus sees us, as Jesus sees us, then we will respond, be able to minister to individuals one person at a time. And then I want you to hear the end of Jeremiah, the text here in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah says, verse four, begin verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare... Hear, hear this, for in its welfare, you will have welfare. In its welfare, you will have happiness, health, and good fortune. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us not only in us seeking the good of others will they be blessed, but God also promises a blessing for us as well in 2016. So I wanna encourage us 
Spend time in the word daily. And then spend time seeking individuals one by one that we can minister to in the name of Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy towards us. We thank you that you are one that seeks our welfare. And maybe even right now in this room, there are individuals that, that need to know, Jesus, how much you desire to improve their life, to bless their life, to give them hope and joy and a future. Lord, I pray for those individuals right now if they're here, and they're just here because they're going through the motion, but they feel a distance from you. I pray, Jesus, that you'll touch their hearts, that they will say yes to you, that they'll, they'll say, I don't want to live another day without you, Jesus, and they'll respond to the appeal of the Holy Spirit on their hearts right now. And then, Lord, for those of us that have made that commitment already, that have made that decision already, I pray that you will help us to be the one that will minister to others within this community. I pray, Lord, that, that as we study your word, that we'll be more convicted to be ministers for you, to be, to be workers for you, to be exiles in this wicked world that will still seek to bless those around us. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.